It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. If the Trump presidency is teaching us anything, it's that Americans have some deep psychological issues to sort out. We continue working through our patriotic therapy in today's episode. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsy Politics, everyone. We are excited to be back with you, especially after all of the feedback that we received from Tuesday's episode. We're feeling like there's a high bar today, but we're going to do our best to meet it. If you have not had a chance to check out our Patreon page, you can get more Pantsuit Politics there by becoming a monthly supporter of the show. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that over the last week. We're really humbled by your support, and we're working to bring you lots more good content, both on Patreon and here on the podcast. So we got a lot of amazing feedback about that episode. Um, So we wanted to start with a couple of pieces that we got from some listeners. Um, Aditi, is that right, Beth? That's how I always say it, and I hope that it's right. Aditi, tell us if if it's wrong. Yeah, if it's wrong. She said that um, our conversation on how biases are revealed in anger about black multimillionaires reminds her of how many women write off even mild feminism and use the terms, use terms like feminazi. And I totally agree. I think there's definitely some parallels in the way we react, which, again, I think speaks to this undercurrent of know your place. I think that's right. When I saw this, I thought, wow, that is right. And I also think it gets to we just don't want to be uncomfortable about anything. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women are made uncomfortable by the idea of feminism or by the idea of any sort of activism that's implied by feminism. And, you know, we've got to get past that, I think, especially in the Trump era. 
Why are we so much more comfortable with anger than being uncomfortable? Well, I don't know, because that's never been true for me personally. I really it struggle with it. It's true for anger. the American public right now. You're so right about that. That's really interesting. Why is that so easy for us? It's so easy to just be furious and anger. And maybe it's because, uh, you know, Brene Brown always says that the most dangerous thing um, someone can feel is frustrated or powerless. And maybe that's why when people feel pr- frustrated or powerless, when you feel when maybe something someone is saying, because I think this definitely happens. When I think another woman says something that speaks to powerlessness you feel in your own life as a woman, it is much easier to get mad at her than it is to respect, to sort of accept the, the vulnerability you would feel in the face of systematic problems. Yeah, and there's a piece of me, too, that wonders if it's something about the external versus the internal, because mm-hmm. anger seems so externalized to me it's somebody else's fault it's over there it's almost like if i could if i could just solve x then y would happen whereas discomfort is much more internalized what is my role in this what power do i have what power do i not have if i do have power how should i be using it and there's just so much more reflection and change required by that i think It, it makes sense to me that anger is easier Yeah, put a pin in that. I want to come back to that when we talk about Oprah on 60 Minutes. But first, let's talk about Maggie on Twitter said that all sides sides seem really supportive of the NFL. Facebook and in real life, people are losing their shit. Ordinary, decent people are posting memes of dead soldiers. Why? Do you think that people aren't getting the full story? Maybe they don't know or believe that President Trump said those terrible things. Do they not believe that black Americans are treated differently by police than white Americans? Is this conversation really that uncomfortable? Um, Yes, to the poll I spoke to on Tuesday show, people really do not believe that white and black Americans are treated differently than black Americans. At least there's about a 30% difference in how many white Americans believe that and how many black Americans believe that. So yeah, that's a huge problem. This whole deal of I'm an expert on your experience is what, I mean, I think that's probably a really good way to solve it, to sum up white privilege. I'm an expert in your experience. I think that's probably it in a nutshell. You know, I thought a lot about all the feedback that we were getting. I thought a lot about Maggie's question. I think that difference in medium is really interesting because I agree on Twitter, um, even the unless you're following sort of the alt-right, the Republican commentary on Twitter also seems very supportive of the NFL, even if it's just coming from kind of a people are free to speak and protest place. But in Facebook and in discussions with human beings, holy cow, it's a different world. Yeah. And I was thinking about why that is. And then last night, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I tuned in for a few minutes to CNN's town hall with Anderson Cooper. There is no subject on which CNN will not apparently create a debate or a town hall now, but they did a Mm. town hall about the NFL. And had a panel, it was like Spike Lee and a professional sports player turned commentator who I should probably know and don't. Um, and then a, a black minister who's running for controller in New York City. And then um, a, a veteran who is the guy who 
Colin Kaepernick consulted with. This guy wrote him an open letter about finding him sitting during the National Anthem Offensive, and they talked, and that's why Kaepernick kneels now instead of Mm. sitting. And he was the only white guy on the panel. And he said at one point, and look, I give him props for being on the panel, right? This is not an easy conversation to have. And I I would have struggled to be the only white guy there. I was very disappointed in CNN that there were no women in the mix. But he said at one point, I think it would help everybody feel less emotional about this if people understood that race isn't the only issue in the United States. Mm. And I have thought a lot about that. And I find my best best path to empathy when I think about things through the lens of being a mom. And Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which, you know, let's all spend some time in therapy thinking about that. But yeah, I started thinking, what if Chad and I had two sons who were 19 or 20 and one was white and one was black and Both of these sons are going to go on road trips, maybe to visit my parents or something. So like a four-hour drive through Kentucky. My white son's expectation of that trip is going to be to make really good time, for it to be like a pleasant drive, and to get there quickly and safely. And hopefully my black son has that same set of expectations. But when I start thinking about what if our sons get pulled over on the way there? With my white son, I'm probably thinking, well, this will teach him to stop speeding. With my black son, I immediately start to feel a sense of fear about that. And my white son's expectation of his interaction with that police officer is going to be to expect to be treated with respect and kindness. And he'll probably feel a sense of injustice if he gets a ticket, right? Right. And then with my black son... And I could feel this in my body when I was just thinking through this. I, I seriously fear for him in that same interaction. And as I start to think about what it must be like to be raising a child in a country and not be able to assure that child who the helpers are mm-hmm. and not because mm-hmm. anybody's evil, you know, but because subconsciously or otherwise there are people who are going to look at this child of mine and say you seem dangerous to me or you seem threatening to me whether you are or aren't and I just started to internalize that and I thought you know what if that's me race is my only issue and I dare you to tell me it shouldn't be yeah yeah so my dear friend Reagan, who is a devoted listener of this show, so everybody say hi, Reagan, has four children, two biological girls, and then two adopted children from Africa. And she, so she has three girls and one boy who um, is black. And so she thinks, I think about this all the time with her, and I think about this. Look, we're only like 12 minutes in, and I'm going like to start crying because there's just this, I have three boys. And, you know, I think a lot about them as teenagers because there is this, this tension that's hard to describe when you're the mother of boys because um look like they're like just (laughs) they're pretty likely to die in their teenage early 20s because they make dangerous decisions it's just the statistics like their brains aren't working great they test boundaries there's just a there's a different set of dangers and worries when you have boys and we can debate why that is but just statistically it's there and so there's already this 
fear I carry as the mother of boys and the way in which race would amplify that is just really difficult for me to even comprehend and sends me in sort of a empathy sorrow spiral for um, my black friends and for my white friends who have adopted black children. I just, it's not a thing you should have to worry about. It's just not. And it's so devastating. And I can't, I can't even fathom the psychic toll and the fear sending them out and the just constant calculus and the constant training and you know, we all do that. We all, I love the um, quote that being coming a mother is deciding to let your heart walk around outside your body. So we, we all as mothers or parents generally understand what that's like. And so to, to do that anyway, and then have it become such an extreme situation because of the nothing more than the color of your child's skin, it's just so heavy and it's just so difficult for me to comprehend like I just think about I've talked about the show before it's a great show Insecure on on HBO Issa Rae show and there's a scene in the second season where her ex-boyfriend is pulled over by the cops and just that this is a fictional character (laughs) and I thought I was gonna throw up because I just thought I mean it's a comedy I didn't think anything bad was gonna happen to him but he was a black male in Los Angeles pulled over and I just thought, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so, I mean, like I said, just that's a fictional character not related to me. So I can't even comprehend what that would be like as a black mother or like I said, as a white mother of black children. I just, mm, I just can't. And I know that there are going to be people who listen and say, well, like that's dramatic. And the media shows us these things so it's in our face but it's so unlikely whatever and I hear that and think then I don't know that you're trying to do this exercise with me in good faith Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what I'm asking like and I recognize that when I do that sort of mental exercise I get maybe 15% of it Mm -hmm. there's still this whole world of experience that I can't access but if I can access that much and understand in a really simple example how difficult all of this must be. Can we all just try something like that and Mm -hmm. calm down about the football players? I mean, this is just, this is really taken off. And the other thing I think that we should say about this before we move on, because I do think all this is so related to what we're talking about next. To me, the fact that people go to our veterans in such detail and post the kinds of pictures that Maggie wrote to us about of dead and mutilated soldiers, I think we need to have a real conversation about the damage that we're doing to people through our military in ways that we haven't started to have yet. Well, and the other part of the military conversation that bugs me, okay, first of all, veterans are not a monolith. They do not all feel the same way. They're as complicated as any other group of human beings. Second of all, 
using the military as some trump card bugs me for a lot of reasons. One, because they're not a tool in your debate toolbox. And two, because the military is not is a flawed institution, okay? It has its own problems. So the idea that you just say veteran or military and everybody's supposed to fall in line really bothers me because I don't think not only because I think it's a flawed institution and that ignores its own problems, but because I think it makes this situation for the people in the military worse. When we keep treating them as soldiers instead of human beings and acting like they, um, you know, sort of bringing them into any conversation should shut it down, that means that we also, that also can be used against them in conversations about PTSD or sexual assault in the military. Like, everybody stop doing that. The military deserves as much nuance as any other area of conversation. Yeah, and I think that what I've been thinking about is that heroism is almost always accompanied by trauma. Mm. And the fact that we react so strongly about the flag on behalf of our military says to me, as much as the mental health statistics out of the military do, that, that there is a pain in this country around the years and years and years of military service that people don't understand why it's happening. They just know that they're making these sacrifices constantly and and we're not paying attention to it. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? 
Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. A group assembled by Frank Luntz, who's kind of notorious for working with focus groups. Seven people in the group voted for Trump. Seven people in the group did not. And she asked them a wide-ranging series of questions to see how they're feeling about his presidency today. And even in the highly edited 60 Minutes format, it was intense. Yeah, I want to talk about the format first because I think the format's problematic. I think that, listen, we all know I love Mama Oprah. But, and I'm happy she's on 60 Minutes and I look forward to her future reporting. But they decided that this was going to be a 16-minute segment on a divided country but those people talked for three hours and they kept getting together after they went to a restaurant afterwards she talks about at the end of the segment how long the conversation went on and so look there's just there's a point of view when you edit 16 33 hours worth of conversations down to 16 minutes and there's a part of me that wonders like they wanted to say we were still divided, so that's what they found. And I just wonder if somebody had gone to them and been like, we want a half an hour on the times where everybody agreed, what message we would have walked away from. The reason that I love Pantsuit Politics and why I think what we do here is so important is because it's not, it's not a report. It's not edited for television, right? It's an ongoing conversation that we have with each other and that we have with our community. And I think that's what's needed in a divided America is not more reporting on divided America, but more um, hosting of these conversations in a way that doesn't just highlight our conflicts. Well, a total side note on this, too. I I don't want to see Oprah reporting. Mm. I wanted to hear her voice in this conversation, too. I I did not like her trying to be sort of the neutral facilitator of this discussion. I think she asked great questions, but. But I wanted, I mean, at this point in Oprah's life, like, I want to hear her opinion. Yeah. Well, we all know how. I I mean, I want to hear Oprah read the phone book. I don't care what she does. But, I mean, I I meant, like, I'm interested to see what issues she chooses to highlight through her reporting. Like, I think that those were always sort of my favorite episodes of the Oprah show was when it was like, let's talk about puppy meals. Okay, Oprah, teach me what I need to know. I'm here. Let's do this. So that part I'm looking forward to. I just don't think that this forum was the right way to address this issue. I really don't. There were some interesting things that came out of it. And I want to talk about all of them, which would take <laughs> days. Here's, I guess here's a high-level summary of what this put into relief for me. The people who supported Trump described themselves as angry mm-hmm. and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that, and I think it helped me understand 
that, and the two loudest ones were white men. Just going to put that out there. This is true. But there, I mean, there were adamant women in that mm-hmm. segment mm-hmm. too. So I have been struggling with the term divided America and division and, and all of this because I keep thinking about how, look, we can have unity without being unanimous on any issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's tweetable. Somebody tweet that. That was really good. So the people who were saying we've been forgotten or we're angry or frustrated, and then the woman especially who said she had voted for George Bush twice and then voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. I'm so intrigued. She said, you know, I gave the the Republican establishment a chance. I gave the Democratic establishment of a chance. And and look what happened. And I thought, what happened? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, what's so bad? what, What happened? And what I think it is, is that... Mostly white America, okay, or mostly middle class white America is suffering from disappointed expectations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought I was going to follow all the rules. I was going to go to college and instantly get a good paying middle class job Mm -hmm. that would eventually lead me to a white collar job. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I would save money for retirement and then eventually be able to retire in my early 60s and be comfortable and be able to do what I want in retirement, right? Travel and go to the beach, whatever. I thought I was going to do all these things and the world has changed and I don't like it and I'm disappointed. And I'm not trying to make light of that. Like there is a, there is a sense of grief in disappointed expectations. Always. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of pain in disappointed expectations. That is a totally different kind of problem than the kinds of problems that the people who did not vote for Donald Trump are concerned about. Mm-hmm. And as you listen to those problems, you have a black man focused on race in America, a woman who clearly has a heart for LGBTQ issues and worries about nuclear war with North Korea, a woman who has serious health problems and debilitating migraines that she is managing now with the assistance of a plan she bought on the exchanges. Right. So it's not even that on any one specific issue, I think there are all these sides. It's that we're just not having the same conversations. Our hearts are in different places. Yep. Yep. Well, and I think that, you know, a lot of people talked about, well, where where is this going to go? Is the country going to, is this, will the country make it, basically? And I have to remind myself that, wherever we are currently as a nation is not a permanent state. And I think right now we are dealing with the fallout of the, in a very intense way. And it's, I'm hoping it's the Zenith of this fallout um, from the transition from an industrial age to a technological age and a global economy. And I think that you're seeing the sort of, I hate to use the word last gas, but something equivalent to that of like what you said of people who were raised in one world and one country in which we do not live anymore. And you're seeing that, like you said, the, the changed expectations, the frustration, the powerlessness of the world changed on me. And I, again, I'm sure that is very frustrating Right. I'm sure that I have no idea what that's like. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, I sort of remember what it was like before the Internet, but not really. And I'm comfortable in an incredibly complicated environment. I'm comfortable with an intense flow of information. 
it reminds me of um, the reporting the New York Times was doing on the town in, uh, was it Iowa? Who had the fake news story that really yes. impacted the city council. And he at one point, the reporter said, you know, people are used to seeing something as a news story and believing it. And, you know, it's sort of like my stepdad said, like, we had Walter Cronkite and you could trust him. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. It's not like that anymore. And so I, I think that it's all those sort of institutional changes, global changes. And like you said, it's the ground shifting under people's feet. And that's a really, look, that's a really scary sensation. That's a really scary experience. And you see that played out in the way those people spoke. And those people spoke in ways that people speak on Facebook and in my real life, getting back to Maggie's point. I think that when I hear people like that start to say things like a civil war, I feel like we're in so much denial about where we are. Yeah. Because if what you're really grieving are these disappointed expectations, whether those are economic or psychological, and I think it is an enormous mix, (laughs) that town in Iowa is not going to rid itself of sexual assault on children by not Mm -hmm. allowing refugees in. Mm Mm-hmm. Your retirement account is not going to come back by closing our borders. Recognizing our police and our military, like you said earlier, Sarah, as infallible heroes is not going to drive out of existence all of the problems in both of those structures. Yep. And so what are if we're in America where our standard of living is so high even on the poorest end of our society, talking about a civil war, we are lost. We have no perspective whatsoever. Can I just be a little snarky for like one second about the civil war thing? Um, Americans are way too lazy at this point to participate in a civil war. You really think a society filled with not very physically fit <laughs> People who've never experienced anything like any sort of military conflict in their lives don't have any sort of not to mention we don't fight like that anymore. How did you how would you think that's even going to work if it was to happen? I mean, I think that it would be more like you've emboldened authoritarian ideologues and they commit some sort of act of terrorism against the United States government, sort of like Handmaid's Tale, but it's not going to be us fighting out in the field with long rifles, and we wouldn't be up for that if it was. So that really, like nobody's, you know, people are angry and people are frustrated, but I don't think anybody's willing to sacrifice on the level something like that would entail. I'm just going to be really brutally honest about that. No, what I think it is, is it's exactly terrorism that I Mm -hmm. think would result from something like that. And I think... Those of us, like the people sitting around that table in Michigan, stop saying things like civil war. Stop talking in those terms because what you are inviting are terror tactics. I mean, that's what they talked about in that reporting on the Daily from Iowa, too, that these people who fear ISIS so much started employing ISIS-like tactics against one another. And that's what's going to come of this over what? Over our retirement accounts? Over Mm -hmm. our disappointment that there aren't as many good-paying jobs as there used to be? Like, we're okay sitting here in America today. We are okay. Things are difficult, yes, 
There are life experiences. People are enduring all kinds of suffering. And it is still a country of relative ease compared to the struggle that people have everywhere else. Like, I don't know. We need to get some civics classes going on. We need to do some some. Um, you know, I love leadership Northern Kentucky. They always talk about the community as a classroom. We got to have more of that happening and yep. the world as a classroom happening more so we can enhance our perspective because honest to goodness, if the people sitting there with Oprah are willing to use that kind of language, like we've just lost it. We've lost it. I also like to say that transgender is not something you choose. Side note. That was something else that came up that really bothered me. That came up in that conversation, and I thought it was very interesting that women in the conversation were sort of educating men on that point. Yeah, I mean, and and it was so funny because it was this guy saying, I mean, you don't choose to you don't choose to be black and you don't choose to be gay. And I just wanted to be like, dude, literally 10 years ago, I would bet money you were arguing you choose to be gay. Literally. Come on. Everybody thought that not 10 years ago. And that's how far we've come. And we educated ourselves. And now you have conservatives going, we well, don't choose to be gay. But like, I, first of all, I'm pretty sure I still have some friends and people in my community who believe that you choose to be gay. So, I mean, I'm that was discouraging. And also I had to remind myself, yeah, just give it time. People will come around. And I don't want to just be like hating on those guys in the conversation because there are a lot of those guys out there. And what, again, kind of came into relief for me is that there is a there is a problem for them. Right. But it's a different kind of problem Mm -hmm. than the problem for others. And until we put that in perspective, we can't move forward. And I honestly think I mean, you're right. I wish they had shown more of the conversation because one of the guys who started in a really kind of strident way. Oh, that started opening volley. I wanted to punch him through the TV. I'm just to be real honest. It was so like cocky and very like I love it. You could you yeah. could feel him like shmi- like almost shoving it in people's faces. Ooh, that really bothered me. Well, and they admitted that's why they voted for him. Ugh. Um, I don't know why this surfaced on Twitter this week because it was from a Washington Examiner March article. Maybe it's because of the son of a bitch phrase. But Thomas Massey was quoted as saying that he used to think Kentucky voters were voting for him and Rand Paul and Ron Paul because they liked libertarian ideology. And he realized that they were just voting for the craziest son of a bitch in the room. And then Trump came along and became the craziest, even though he has nothing to do with libertarian ideology. And that was the truest thing Thomas Massey, who's my congressman, has ever said. Mm. Um, and that's what these people said. Like, what, I think one of the guys used the phrase, we wanted to flip the tables. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. For what? First of all. For what? Yeah. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> First of all, do not, do we all remember where, fl- well, I guess flip the tables came from Jesus, but I also think of Teresa from Real Housewives of New Jersey flipping the table. And that's not something we want to strive for everybody. Uh, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and hope you were talking about Jesus. Okay. So here's my biggest issue with that. And it came up in the New York Times, the daily podcast today, we're recording on Thursday about um, the privatization of diplomacy. And this, this one lobbyist was basically like, you know, we just wanted somebody to really. What was the phrase he used, Beth, about Trump? I can't remember. I was. It pretty, wasn't flip the table. It, it was like that, though. I mean, something it, like that. Yeah. And here's what bothers me about that, because it is so indicative of what we are always talking about on this podcast, which Americans have been taught that consumerism is the only solution to any problem they have, and so we are treating 
the problems in our country like we are consumers and we just want to buy a different product. Okay, if you don't like the way the country works, the short-term solution of let's just put another guy in there to burn it down is so ridiculous. First of all, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth because if you don't, if you think the system is so powerful and so corrupt that just one person's going to change it, then maybe you don't understand how powerful and corrupt the system is. Like I, as I constantly say, don't hate the player, hate the game. Donald Trump, for as extreme a candidate as he is, and I believe that he is doing damage. There is still the the corruption that your problem, this sort of lobbyist, the influence of money in politics. That it's all happening just because he speaks a way that you like, just because he says offensive things and seems to get away with it and sort of thumbs his nose at the politically correct culture that bothers you so much. It's just it's such a short term quick fix, but it's not a fix because the long term problems will remain. And it really, really bothers me because nobody really wants to put in the work to change the system and to ask the hard questions and to say, what are we getting out of here? They just want to blame Mitch McConnell or Barack Obama or Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton and pretend like if we just get somebody like Donald Trump in there to blow it all up, that'll fix it, which is just so ridiculous. Well, what you've done, if you if you think the system is too powerful, what you've done is place even more power in the hands mm-hmm. of fewer people. Mm-hmm. When you think about the Trump administration, it is such a small number of people at the helm compared to what we typically have. Now, you can sit back and say, well, he's cleaning house. He's running it like a business. There's efficiency. We're spending less money. Okay, there might be some truth in some of that. And that means there are fewer decision makers. There are there are fewer lines of accountability. There is more power concentrated Look, we have a non-existent State Department. When you think about what that means for the concentration of power in the executive branch, that's not a quick experiment in the Mm. course of our country's history. And if you want to flip the table on America, you have to to recognize that you're going to flip the table on American values in the course of doing that. Mm -hmm. This all didn't happen arbitrarily. And I say this as somebody who thinks the federal government is out of control. I think there's too much power in the federal government. I think there is a lot of waste. I think there is a lot of abuse and a lot that needs to change. But it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen for no good reason. And so unraveling some of that, as I think needs to happen, needs to be a slow, deliberative process. And and it will have difficult decisions to make somewhere along the way that you can't apply pure ideology to. Because once again, you're not writing on a blank sheet of paper. And that's what I see with these people who are like, well... You're right. It's the short term. It's just it's easier for me to put a guy in there that I feel comfortable with. That's all this is. I feel comfortable with him. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, and look, Donald Trump's political genius is using his sort of extreme rhetoric to get people to trust him and to feel like, and I think this is true in business and in politics, he gets people to trust him. And then if his business record is any indicative, he screws them. So I think that, you know, he does have a talent in there. But the idea that you know, at one point they said in the New York Times Daily Podcast about this, the changing lobbying culture in D.C. right now, which is it created a vacuum. And when you create a vacuum, then somebody is going to fill the space. And what we've talked about previously on this podcast is that, yes, I will hear you about the size of the federal government, but I am uncomfortable in just flipping the table on that and creating a vacuum because guess who's going to fill the vacuum? 
industry, the other incredibly powerful force in our government. And that's what's happened in Donald Trump's administration. When you shrink the, the bureaucracy and you leave open all these posts, industry, he's put industry people in charge of a lot of the departments and the bureaucracies. So you don't need lobbyists because the lobbyists are now head of the department representing industry's interest. And so who's representing the interest of the American people? And so I am comfortable talking about shrinking the size of the federal government if, and simultaneously, we talk about shrinking the size and influence of corporate America. And if those two two things do not happen simultaneously, then you're going to shrink the government and you're going to have outsized corporate influence inside our democracy. And I think that's what's happening right now. And that is problematic. Because, like I said, who's representing the interests of the American people? And, and I can't go ahead. And it's the worst of corporate America filling yep. that vacuum because the best of corporate America doesn't like the tone being set by this administration and doesn't mm-hmm. like the regressive social policy of this administration. So that vacuum is being filled by the worst of industry. And the ironic thing about this conversation that we're having. Um, I can't remember the guy's name who was on Freakonomics, who we both really liked, Stephen, the Brexit guy. The London guy. That's who I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the ironic thing about all this is some of this fits in with nationalism, Mm -hmm. right? This idea that everything has gotten too big and out of control and that on both the corporate side and the government side, we need to return things to a more localist. I mean, there's this weird mix of Trumpian and Bernie Sanders kind of ideology and Brexit and all these things coming together. And we're not saying that all of that is racist nonsense, because there are some things I think there are some spaces where we can all agree. But None of that matters to this president, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. None of it. And we're we're lying to ourselves if we think that's what motivates him. And let's talk about – I want to talk about before we move on really quick, which is Roy – before we wrap up really quick, I guess, <laughs> is Roy Moore's victory in the Republican primary in Alabama and the way in which Steve Bannon has become emboldened to promote this nationalist ideology. And I just want people to ask themselves – is flipping the table worth putting people in power who are homophobic and racist and sexist and, you know, just offensive to everything America stands for? We had a letter to editor in our paper today that was like, isn't, I mean, isn't a democracy about majority rules? No! <laughs> what? No, it's not. What's, no. The idea of a democracy, and particularly our democracy, is protection of minority rights. And if we decide that nationalism and putting America first means we step on all the minorities in America and their rights, oh, my gosh, at what cost will flipping the table come? But again, I don't believe that's what this is about. I think it is as simple as flipping the table for the sake of doing it. Mm. I think it is what Thomas Massey said. I think Roy Moore is the craziest son of a bitch in that race. And that's what the voters voted for. But don't you think that there's privilege there that says, yeah, you know, he doesn't like certain groups, but I'm not that group, so he won't really do it. Oh, it's so offensive. Of course there is. Ugh. And we're learning nothing because as we start to talk about future elections, who are we talking about? Peyton Manning for Bob Corker seat. Kid Rock, for Christ's sake. You know, we're not st- taking a step back and saying, look at what we've just done. Let's not do it again. It's like everyone's doubling down. Well, this is entertaining. I mm. mean, is that where we are, where we're so... 
comfortable as Americans in a lot of ways that we've just decided to make it all a circus. It, it's the it's the thing that I said on the last episode. It's less like let's just consume all this until it's gone. Let's yep. just eat up America until we don't have it anymore. Because I just don't think we have people presenting other tools to us. The only tool we're presented to solve our problems is to consume. Get the drug, get the mm-hmm. car, get the house, get the clothes, get the food, get the drinks. You know, it's by, you know, find the thing that will fix your problem. Find it. Don't look within yourself. Don't ask questions. Don't work through your own shit. Like, it's just, and you just, the more, it's like, once you see the way we do that, it's freaking everywhere. And you know what I think the real answer is? The thing that would get us back on track in this country and enable us to sort all of this out is devoting time to it. Mm. And we don't want to do that, Mm-mm. right? We don't want to take the time to read the article instead of react to the headline. We think we are too busy in the course of our day to sit down and have the kind of conversation that we're having here. We just sweep all of this under the rug because we're living, we are, we're, we are hamsters in the wheel. Right. And we're just running that wheel so fast that all we have time for is to be mad. And you know where I think that this and I hope this is coming. And I think that if anybody is trying, it is Mama Oprah. But I think that there is a real role here role here for artists and culture and the entertainment industry if they'll take it, particularly artists. You know, I've shared uh, Chance the Rapper's recent performance on The Colbert Show because I think he was asking these questions. He was saying, I'm, you know, he, the, the article did a good job of talking about, like, that I posted the review was like, it's really hard to see someone being vulnerable about being famous and not be turned off by it. But he managed to do that. He managed to say, like, what am I doing all this for? What sacrifices am I making? And... You know, I think that there is a place for, that's why I love pop culture, that's why I love artists and novelists, because I think there is space for those people to push our culture and to help us ask those questions. And I hope that more of that is coming. I think it is, because I think in our highly politicized environment, there's not a lot of space, especially among sort of the the upper echelon of pop culture consumers. I think that's why you get so much Taylor Swift backlash. Like we don't really want, there's a certain sort of upper consumers of pop culture, not just critics, but sort of, you know, like me, like I think of myself as sort of like a pop culture snob and I'm not going to watch something empty. Like I want you to be asking questions, important questions for our culture right now in music and in movies and in books. And I hope that, and I believe that artist is a art is a space that's sort of up for that challenge. I agree with that. And I think that's already happening and will continue mm-hmm. to accelerate. And I think it's spreading into sports now, obviously. Yep. Where I think this needs to crawl out is in human resources departments and in workplaces everywhere, because on some level, and this is why the NFL is such a big deal. Because when this happens with artists, it can easily become preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. Until people who feel like they are excluded from that conversation because of wealth or interest or culture or whatever 
start to connect with other human beings around them, I don't think we make progress. I think we continue to breed that resentment. So I think at the same time, as artists, entertainers, athletes are doing that work, we have to do it individually in our workplaces and in our communities. And it is as simple as like, knowing that your neighbor has cancer and taking a casserole over, right? And as simple as if somebody is habitually late for work, instead of pink slipping them over it, sitting down and saying, I I know you and I trust you. And it is clear to me that something must be going on and causing this. Let's talk about that. Well, and let's also say too, that churches have a huge role to play here. Because let's be clear, Consumerism is not absent inside the modern church community. And this idea that if I, you know, read the right books and say the right things at church and go to the right services, that that fixes the problems. And I don't actually have to leave my church and engage in a way with real societal issues and figure out the. And I, and I will say that I think that there are really, really, really valuable voices out there um, in all spaces. Christianity, Judaism, Islam that are doing this and then are asking these questions. And I hope that those voices grow louder over time. And that's about time, too, right? Mm-hmm. Because it mm-hmm. takes longer to be a prayer than to say one. Mm-hmm. And and this is where we are. But if we're going to keep talking about how we're so divided, y'all, the answer to division is connection. Yeah, good. That's a good spot. Let's leave. Let's in there. Well, I wanted to say we fixed it, (laughs) y'all. I wanted to say also in the vein of connection that the number of responses to our conversation on accidental killers has been um, just a beautiful thing. I don't feel really comfortable like sharing the stories that people have been sharing with us on the podcast because I feel like it's it's theirs to share if they want to do that um, beyond the two of us. But it's really been moving. And thank you for trusting us with those stories. And and that's the only thing I want to offer. I know that we're way long for our Friday episode. But um, Jane asked me on Twitter what I want people to say since we went through all the things that we don't want people to say. And I'd love to hear your answer to this, Sarah, too. I told her, for me, what I say to other people when they bring me something terrible is thank you for telling me. Because I feel like thank you for telling me says I'm not uncomfortable and you don't have Mm -hmm. to try to make me comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's sort of your personal version of becoming the Statue of Liberty. Like, give me your tired. Like, thank I welcome all your stuff. And that's what I want people to do for me. So I don't know if you have a different answer, Sarah, but that's that's what came to me. Yeah, I think thank you for sharing. And I also like it. I have um, actually you're really good at this. And my friend Annie is really good at this. They often the response is, oh, I'm sorry. That must be really hard. Mm-hmm. That must be really hard. I'm a little crasser, so a lot of times I say that must mm, suck. Um, but and so, you know, sometimes that's what people need to hear is just like, oh god, that's terrible. Um, but so I just try to, you know, mirror and listen and say that must be that's truly terrible, and I'm so sorry, and I'm so glad you shared that with me. Um, I also want to say that about the the magic that was found in the Tuesday episode. That both Beth and I cried, which I think might be the secret solution. But Beth now says that she's good for another year. So I don't know, guys. <laughs> it's hard on me. Once I open those floodgates, like I'm not right for the rest of the day. Yeah. I don't I have your it. I don't have your emotional elasticity where you're able to like, <laughs> go there and come right back. 
What a nice way to say sort. I mean, there's a lot of words that you could use to describe that. Manic, intense, but I like emotional elasticity this, no, the best. No, I admire it. I'm not critical of it at all. I admire it. I wish I had it. So on a much, much lighter note, we are super grateful for all of our patrons. And Sarah wants to tell you about our patron of the month. So our patron of the month this month is my friend Martha Huggins, who goes to church with me and has been a devoted um, listener of Pantsu Politics. And when I talked about missing Paducah and missing my church ladies, she ran up to me at church the next week and was like, am I a church lady? She was pleased as punch that I described her as one of my wonderful church ladies. And her and her family are devoted to our church. They knit basically just a constant river of hats and scarves and baby blankets and um, baptism blankets. It's it's sort of impressive. And so we get, you know, our kids get little minion hats and we get all kinds of beautiful hats and scarves. I just, I can't say enough about Martha and her family and her um, support of Pansy Politics means the world to me. That's awesome. Thank you, Martha. We didn't talk about this before, Sarah, but I have an idea for next month. We have so many international listeners who are also patrons now. It warms my heart. I have heard from people in Australia and Canada this week. But if you are a patron not living in the United States, would you send me a quick email? Because I would love to do Patron of the Month International Edition next week. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We are always grateful for our community and particularly so on a week like this when we've gotten such intense feedback and are having such intense conversations. If you uh, would like to support us but patron isn't for you at this moment in your life, just leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast Player really helps other people find Pantsuit Politics. We appreciate you doing that. You can email us, uh, go to our website pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, follow us on social media, and until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. 